Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Monkey Finance YouTube channel. And tonight I have a very special guest. I have Frank on the channel. Uh, Frank runs his own YouTube channel too, by the way. Uh, I pinned it here in the chat. So make sure you check him out, subscribe, do all those sweet things. But Frank, uh, without further ado, I want to welcome you to the channel. And uh, if you want to give a quick introduction about yourself and what your YouTube channel is all about. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for uh, having me on it really means a lot. Um, so I'm Frank. And right now I'm 20, um, going to college. And uh, I've been investing, I guess, for a few years, pretty much since I turned 18. And I uh, just started the YouTube channel. And for me, it's a uh, learning opportunity. You know, I'm learning a lot from the channel, just talking about investing, talking about what I'm investing in, talking about, you know, certain specific stocks. Um, and it's really just a great way to kind of grow my network too and meeting new people and getting to have these conversations, which is really exciting for me. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I you uh, reached out to me about joining your, uh, I know you do some live streams on your channel. And uh, I don't know a lot about you when I joined. And uh, you opened my eyes to a, a 20-year-old who's one, not just talking about investing, but he's got his own YouTube channel about investing. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, obviously, you're in college, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, and, and kind of what you're going to school for in your process there. But let's touch back on the investing. Um, from some of the conversations I had with you, I'm just curious if anything struck, because I know I, I mentioned one thing to you uh, at the end of your live stream, you were like, well, you know, I feel like I'm investing so little right now. And I use that wealth multiplier on you. Um and for anybody out there that's listening and watching, if you're 18, 19, 20, 21, uh, I, I mentioned to Frank, some of the dollars that he's putting in now will multiply to be 80, 88 times over. Um, and it's like the most powerful dollars he'll ever put in. So don't be discouraged by, you know, putting in 10, 15, 20, 30 bucks, whatever you guys can afford to put in when you're younger because it's going to turn into something else. But what was the biggest takeaway? Cause you mentioned you like, you know, getting different perspectives from our chat last time, which a lot of, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. People really like that interview. Uh, what was, what was the biggest takeaway for you? Uh, for me, I definitely did like what you were saying about that uh, wealth multiplier thing. And it kind of made me realize that, you know, uh, what I'm doing now is important. And, you know, I always, my, uh, Kind of perspective right now is that you know my investments are just like a learning opportunity so that you know when i have more money to invest it's um i kind of have a feel for what i'm doing and can be a little bit more competent with it which um that's definitely part of it but i guess you uh showed me the other side of it and obviously like um the compound interest is gonna take effect but i didn't really realize um how much the time side, uh, I guess, could help me out. Yeah, and that, that is important. Um, I, I think a lot of us, uh, even me, when I first started, I didn't get to start out at 20. Unfortunately, I was older. I was like 28, 29. But, you know, we all take the first couple of years to hone in our strategy and we try a lot of different strategies. And that's where I come from. I come from the perspective of like, uh, I've done the whole dividend growth stuff. Um, I've done um, passive income. I've done all these things that I've like seen. And I found my strategy with index funds and I've stuck with it now for the last three years. And it's been very, very good to me. And I don't get the, the, the urge to switch around. But I do remember, you know, when I was and I mean, you've been in your 20s, so you've been investing for two years. So you I mean, it's not like I have that much more experience than you I've only 
I've been investing since 2019, so only three years. Uh, but you know, honing in a strategy is is something that I think uh, we we can spend almost an uh, investing career or investing lifetime trying to figure out. It's so cool that you're young and you get to. I don't want to say make mistakes because you seem like you're very conservative you seem like you uh you're not about the hype which for a 20 year old my god like i I actually let me let me ask you this because after the last conversation i was curious i'm like okay this guy's 20 so i could pick his brain on this what uh we'll get back to investing but uh what about uh some of these hype things you why haven't you bought into the hype trail or maybe you have we just didn't talk about it like why haven't you gone in all on crypto or nfts or Moon plays, GameStop, AMC, uh, penny stocks. Why? Why isn't Frank, at twenty years old, uh, tempted by these uh, investments? Or if you are, I mean, come, come, uh, come forth well, and tell me why you are. I guess Frank, at eighteen years old, you know, a week after I turned eighteen and opened my Robinhood account, um, that Frank didn't know what he was doing <laughs> and was investing in random penny stocks. Um, but uh, I think. You know, from talking to a lot of people, that's kind of like a just right part of learning to invest. You know, yeah. like a lot of people go through that phase. Um, I went through that. Yep. Yeah, I think um, for me, you know, people say that you can risk more when you're young because you have plenty of time to recover. But um, that I don't know. That just doesn't make the most sense to me. It, it almost seems like you're. Um, not really setting yourself up for failure, but just saying like, well, if I mess up, it doesn't matter and um, something like that. Whereas, so I guess in the case where you have a lot of risk per se, and, you know, there's two options. One, it could go really well and, you know, your returns could be, you know, spectacular per se. And the other option is that it could go poorly and you kind of start over. Um, so the start over thing because of the way risk works is generally more likely if you're doing higher risk stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's still going to take you a while to build something back up. Right. So it seems more prudent, I guess, just to go the slow route and still get to the same spot. Yeah. And that's a good, I guess that's my thought process. No, no, I get it. I get it. You made a really good point there about, I think on YouTube people and maybe myself too are guilty of, only talking about the upside, right? Like I'm, I'm saying you're going to become a millionaire. You're going to be this, but I, not a lot of us don't tend to mention the downside. Now, in probably more uh, conservative, safer investing like um, index funds, you the downside is whatever the market does, you do, right? So if the market goes goes down fifty, that's what you do. But in generally, in in most cases, the market actually in the U.S. it's always recovered. In some countries, it hasn't. But as a, as a general uh, blanket statement, the market always comes back. Now, when we start talking about like uh, penny stocks or individual small cap stocks that have the potential to go to zero, and even if they don't go to zero, uh, we've seen a lot of them go 80, 90 percent. The fact is when you lose that much, you need to then come back and make like 400 percent just to get back to break even. Right. So you have a say you had a hundred thousand dollar portfolio and these really aggressive stocks and you're down 80 percent. Now you have twenty thousand dollar portfolio. If you go ahead and make 100% back, right? So you lost 80, now you make 100%. You only got a $40,000 portfolio and you started with 100. And then you make another 100%. So you go back to back years where you double, you only now have an $80,000 portfolio. So you're still down 20% uh, off of where you started. And like you said, it's a hole that sets you back and it's very, very difficult to climb out of. 
but a lot of people don't talk about that side. They just talk about the the, the moon potential, right? Like the life changing money. And I'm not here to, I mean, I am here to bash people like that because I mean, you can win the lottery too. Right. And people talk about, Oh, what's the mega. I just played the mega the other day. Cause it was like almost at a billion, but you can win the lottery too. And some people do, but it's not, like you said, it's not a prudent way to invest. It's not a prudent way to build a retirement account uh, off those logics. So Pretty cool that at 20, you've, you've figured that out because there's a lot of 30 and 40-year-olds that don't have that figured out. They're still, uh, sad to say, but they're still kind of hoping that they're holding a lottery ticket, which in more cases than not, it doesn't work out. So you figured, stay away from that. Now, talk to us a little bit about what you do actually invest in, um, kind of what your asset allocation looks like. I know you have index funds and some individual stocks. If you want to talk about those and how the asset allocation breaks down for those. Yeah, first, um, I just want to go back to what you were saying about the, like, when you lose, per se, 80%, you have to make 400% back. Like, mm -hmm. that is, that, like, simple math, I guess, is something I realized probably fairly early on. I mean, I didn't realize it on my own. Like, I, someone said it or I heard well, it yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, that, that, like, one thing kind of grounds me a lot and... I would say is kind of a foundation, I guess, for my thought process that I explained there is just like, mm -hmm. um, I think there's like some Warren Buffett quote about like the first rule in investing is to not lose money or something like that. Yeah. You know, so there's like two rules. Uh, One is the, I don't know, but the second rule yeah, is don't yeah, lose yeah. money. No, the first rule is don't lose money. The second rule is don't forget about rule one. Yeah. Which yeah. is not to lose something money. like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, but going to my investments, uh, I do have, a large portion of that in index funds. So I'm not really sure the allocation like percentage. I mean, I guess yeah, it does. I would, I would guess. guess probably like between half to three quarters. Somewhere in there is probably mm -hmm. index funds. Um, and what kind of index funds are those? Are, are they just like basically US stock all market I have or? is, yeah, I just have the total market, the total US market, and then the S&P 500. Gotcha. Next funds. So cool. Those cool. are both like all like Vanguard funds. So yeah, I actually so like, have I have some of them in the mutual fund form with Vanguard, and then I have some in the ETF form. So, cool, cool. Um, that's my index funds. That's pretty basic, you know. And I don't really talk about that much on the channel because to me, like that's just not as interesting for people to you know watch. And so, and it's not as interesting for me either because to because I don't do as much with it, you know, I, there's nothing to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I put some money in, you know, and most, most of that is in like my Roth IRA. So it's like, well, you can only contribute so much. So you contribute that and then you're kind of done for the year and you move on to other things and you kind of forget about it. Right. Yeah. Which is what I really do like about that. Um, but then I have, do have some dividend stocks. Um, that is probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15%. And then, I have, well, I don't know, somewhere around there. And then mm -hmm. I do have like a portfolio I call like a growth portfolio, which has a lot of non-dividend companies like Google, Amazon. Um, definitely some more, I guess, risky stuff there as well, like Square, um, PayPal, stuff like that. But nothing, I guess nothing crazy like, yeah. I don't know. And what is it, like 10%? What do you got left? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's definitely like five or ten percent. Yeah. Um, and then actually, 
you're probably not going to like this, but I do have some, I do do some like options trading a uh, little bit and it's hold been on. a humbling. Hold experience. on. Since you said that, I got to open up another, uh, and I'm just joking. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, it's been, it's been a learning experience for sure. Like right now I'm definitely not in the green. I will admit that for sure. Um, what kind of options are you like? Um, um, when you say options, are you doing like trading, like where you're, um, buying options or are you selling options? No, I'm selling options. So you're selling. So um, are you doing like cash secure puts and cover calls? Yes. So originally I was just doing cash secured puts and one of the biggest problems I was running into was just the size of my account. I basically started with $5,000 and I wasn't really planning on contributing anything. I was just like, here, put this money here. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was going well, um, throughout 2021 and then the market was going up, right? So all, yes, your, that was all, your, all your puts were, yeah, you were sure. just collecting exactly. the premium and you were not. And then I started, money. I started getting, I would say a little bit more greedy and um, <laughs> not really being as disciplined with it. And even before the market started to go down, I was just, things were not working out. And um, then, yeah, as the market started to go down, that didn't help me either. But uh, you know, like I said, it's been a big learning experience and I yeah. think there's an opportunity for that to be something that's useful for me. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. If it doesn't work out, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Um, and I do own a little bit of cryptocurrency. I actually did have some with Celsius. Uh, Ooh. so yikes. How'd that go? I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't have it anymore, I guess. <laughs> Well, it's not, I mean, have they liquidated that? Or, or, I mean, yeah, it's not like liquidated per se, but. Yeah. Um, but you just can't pull your money out. There's, yeah, there's uncertainty with it. Like they filed chapter 11. So it's kind of like. Yeah. You, they're going to restructure point, and you're going to be the last yeah. one that gets whatever's left pretty much. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I'm just kind of considering it gone. And if I, yeah. I get anything, it's. It's a something, bonus. I guess, but. No, that's interesting too. And I mean, I've been a huge advocate of people not investing in cryptocurrency. Again, everybody can, we're all adults. We can all make our own decisions. But for me, the biggest thing with cryptocurrencies that I've seen, and I've dabbled in them myself as early as like 2018, um, is that this thing is so fragile, it can fall apart very quickly uh, because there's a lot of hype behind it, but there's no way to figure out what's like a fair market price um, for any of these coins because they, I mean, People might say that this, this is the future, this is the future, but really nobody's using cryptocurrency, you know, to to actually transact. If they are, it's, you know, very minimal transaction. So it's hard to put a value on it and stuff that I can't value or that I can't understand fully. And I'll be honest, I can't understand it uh, past the, that, you know, what it is. I don't understand how the technology behind it works. And if you ask me to, like, make a cold storage wallet and transfer coins onto it, I would have no idea how to do that. Right. So. Uh, I, I follow that rule. Like if you don't understand it, don't put your money there. Uh, one and two, if you can't value it, don't put your money there because more than likely it's uh, going to come crashing down when, you know, all the hype uh, wears out. And sadly we've seen with uh, Celsius Voyager, a couple of other uh, exchanges where people have gotten their money locked out. Now sad, I, I know for you, you're probably doing it responsibly and you've put in uh, that lottery ticket money, but, for some people, you know, that is their portfolio. And that's the part where it's like, man, how, I feel so bad for those people because they've 
they've now, you know, literally gone to zero and have to start all over again. And that's got to be more demoralizing than, you know, anything else. Even if you lose 80%, you still got a little working capital to, to dig yourself out. But when you're stuck back to zero, it gets tough. So, but yeah, to each his own. I don't, I don't think, I think for your age, it's very appropriate. I, I was actually expecting it. That's why I was like, I forgot to talk to you about it last time, <laughs> but I was expecting a 20 year old because I'm a little bit, I'm not a boomer. I'm a millennial, but I act like a boomer. I'm more of a, uh, beyond that generation of like what's hip and what's cool, uh, but not really that old yet. So I'm like kind of stuck in between. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with crypto. Uh, I, I tend to tell people stay away, but uh, I think everybody should have a little bit of fun money. And I have fun money and I choose to do other things with it. If you choose to put in crypto, it's perfectly fine. Let's talk about, uh, we, we talked uh, last time about the dividend stuff and I kind of challenged you a little bit. I'm curious if you've been thinking about it at all, but uh, I mentioned the tax drag, right? And, and, and what what some of that would cause. Have you given that some thought? And if you have, are you like, well, you know, because I think your stance last time was, yes, even if I underperform or I lose to taxes, this is fun and I like doing it. Um, so, you know, which f- fair argument for you. You should definitely, if you're interested in it and you're keeping it like 10 to 15% of your portfolio, it's okay. Uh, but have you given that some thought and you're like, well, you know, Moki's got a point with this tax track thing. It, it could end up hurting or hindering my performance over the long run. So, yeah, I've definitely thought about it and looked at some things. And I guess the first thing I'll say is you definitely have a point. Like, it's it's a valid thing to consider for sure. Um, but I, I guess my fundamental answer is that, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of to each their own. And yeah. it kind of to me, I think it just makes the most sense to me. Um, And I kind of did some like projections of like some calculations of, you know, returns and, you know, how much the taxes would impact that. And it didn't seem to me from that, that it would be that much. Now these are all like ideal situations. So Mm -hmm. obviously there's going to be some differences there. Um, I didn't really find, I tried looking for like some uh research on that and stuff like that and i didn't really see anything so um i don't know i think for me uh right now like i said the dividends portfolio is not really a huge portion of my um overall investments and so you know on one hand it's not that big of a deal right now but i guess if i'm talking about my future i definitely at least right now like my thought process for the future is to much more heavily invest in those dividend stocks in the future. Um, and so that's definitely something to consider. Uh, one of the things I mentioned, I think I mentioned before that I really like about dividend companies is that you're constantly realizing some gains over time. And so to me, that just seems like that much safer per se, um, because you're you're getting some of that investment back over time yeah. and you you don't have to wait till when you sell to get it back, um, which there's, you know, that's, that's not everything for sure, but um, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, for the, the big argument for dividend growth is, is the compounding. And I agree, you know, it, it uh, if you, let's just take an index S and P 500, you compound it without the dividends and you compound it with the dividends, you get two completely different numbers. The one that compounds with dividends is going to be much higher, right? Which is great. 
but the thing is um with what i've noticed at least with individual dividend stocks um now if you if you went with like and i think you might have a portion in uh, etf right or no is am i am i missing no, I no you don't okay that was somebody else i was talking not to. not like a dividend focused ETF. yeah yeah okay, like okay. but uh what i've seen at least with picking the individual dividend stocks is uh generally like the companies that are currently dividend growers are if you look back like the last 20 years they were at one point like the kings of the S&P 500 the AT&T's the GE's um I don't know if GEG I think cut their dividend but uh if you look back in like the 90s and 2000s it's really AT&T City GE all these companies and since that point they because of the dividend they have stunted their actual growth in the company right now, I know there's other metrics you can look at. Dividend should not be the only, like, you should not just be looking at the dividend yield, right? And you know that. Uh, but uh, because these companies have to pay out in dividends and because dividends are paid out from actual cash flows of the company, they're stunting their growth as how much the, the, the company can grow in itself. And just kind of the argument I was making is like, if you look at your growth stocks, like your Googles and your Amazons, now I know now is a tough time because they've all been decimated, Square and PayPal and all these companies. But, you know, if you hold them long enough, uh, you're not realizing any of those gains. Now, true, you do have to have that capital appreciation to be able to sell. Otherwise, you can be holding, for example, PayPal. You're looking pretty. All of a sudden, it crashes 50% and you lost, you know, half the money you had in there. Versus if you had a dividend stock, you would have been kind of compounding that over time. But the point I'm trying to get at is these dividend companies tend to underperform the market over the long run. The reason being is they stunt their growth and because of the tax drag or the tax liability. Now, today, and this is a question I actually have for you. I guess it's rhetorical, but you can try to answer it. Today, how do you know that the companies you're holding are not going to be the future AT&Ts and uh, GEs and cities in the next 20 years, right? There's really, I mean, if you, there's no way I know of. Uh, that says, yeah, I know I'm not picking the losers of the next 20 years that are different growers today, right? How, how, like, what's your uh, philosophy about, like, how do you structure which dividend growth stocks you're picking and how do you ensure that, uh, you know, you're not risking the underperformance side over the next 20 years? Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point. Um, the one thing I kind of want to go back to, to what you said, if that's all right, um, you said, like, when the company decides to pay a dividend, they're sort of stunting their growth. And I think that's definitely a valid argument, but I think you could definitely argue that, you know, the the cause and effect of that situation is not entirely known. Like a company could decide that we think, you know, the best way at this point that we are going to provide value to shareholders is through paying a dividend and we're probably not going to be able to grow as quickly in the future as we have in the past. So a good way to help out shareholders is by paying a dividend. So, I mean, I I think, I think both sides are probably true to a certain extent. Um, But I guess in terms of like looking at those specific companies, um, I definitely, one of the biggest, um, metrics I look at, I mean, obviously I don't want, I don't like just looking at, you know, one certain number, but one of um, the things I look at a lot is the dividend growth rate and how quickly the company is growing the dividend. And um, also comparing that to like their 
earnings growth. So if the dividend is going, the growth of the dividend is going to be able to keep up with the earnings, or I guess vice versa, the earnings growth is going to be able to keep up with the dividend growth. Um, I guess in that case, that's something I really look for a lot, um, which to me seems to indicate that they're going to continue growing. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not just like buying the company for the dividends. You know, I'm looking at, um, I would say over the past year, I've taken um, valuation a lot more seriously yeah. um, and tried to be a little bit more strategic about that. Because um, there is like, here, here's my other argument for dividend stuff is uh, unlike an index fund, I can truly say like I can just dollar cost average and I don't care the price that I pay for the S&P 500 with a high degree of certainty. I know that's going to be, you know, it's going to be worth more in the future. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people with dividend growth say, well, they want a dollar cost average and they don't really care about the price per share that they pay for a certain company. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Now this where, like you said, we have to get into the valuations. Like what if you're buying a, uh, a dividend growth company that is way overvalued, right? And, and the future expected return is much lower than 10% or where the S&P does. Could you, you know, like how, how do you uh, continue to dollar cost average into say a company that's just that overvalued i think a lot of people have not talked about that recently because um the price just kept going up and up and up and now that and and dividend stocks probably have not been hit as hard as uh the growth stocks but now that the market's kind of cooled off a little bit now valuations and 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 people trying to figure out what's a fair price are coming back into play which i think again anytime you have like multiple different levers that you got to pull as an investor to figure out uh, if this investment is going to actually pay a premium uh, above what the market's paying, uh, you're going to make a mistake eventually somewhere, right? Because it's like there's too many variables. And then even if you know uh, everything, you're still making an assumption about the future. Like in the last five years, this company's grown dividends means nothing for the next five years. Now it's a good track record. And I, I myself, when I looked at dividend companies back in 2019, I was all about those aristocrats and the kings companies that had like 50 year track 60 year track records uh, of paint the johnson and johnson's and the uh um, 3ms and all those companies right and when i went back and actually did the, uh, the the digging into these companies going back to 1985 i would say pepsi johnson and johnson most of these stocks underperformed the s&p 500 over like a 30 year period and i was trying to figure out why then i realized use a dollar cost average model you're paying now i get it you're paying the average but you're paying for these companies sometimes when they're really really overvalued and they never come back to those valuations it takes a long time in the case of some companies 20 years in case others never right so there's it's it's very complex but again you're keeping it a small portion so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna beat a dead horse uh i'm always just trying to poke the bear and try to make sure we uh, you know, all your uh, investment uh, philosophies are airtight and that, you know, you really believe in it. I know you're the guy that does. Uh, but just for everybody watching, you know, some people might just get into a dividend and be like, yeah, I heard this dividend growth stuff makes your money multiply. So I'm going to get into it. And they're buying companies at high valuations and all that stuff. So I'm trying to just keep the, the general public informed on that. Uh, curious now about the growth stuff. You want to talk about that? Over the last two, maybe three years, growth has been all the hype. Um, what got you into growth? Uh, were you thinking more of along the lines of, Hey, I want to balance out this dividend stuff if it doesn't work out or is there some other reasoning for the growth? 
Um, I wouldn't say so much like balance it out if it doesn't work out, but just balance it out as like um, a different type of strategy. And um, I think, you know, part of it is just trying to learn more about a different style of investing because I mean, you know, probably the first six months of investing for me, maybe a little bit less than that. I didn't really know what I was doing and I'm not saying I know what I'm doing completely right now, but I've definitely learned a lot. But after the first six months, I guess I kind of focused in on the dividend strategy. And so I was just kind of going along that path. Um, And so I wasn't really paying attention to kind of other stuff. So partly it was just to um, try to learn more about those types of companies and um, how to, uh, I guess, decide if that company is worth investing in or not, right? Um, Part of it was just to have an opportunity to participate in some of the upside that could be possible um, with some of those companies more so than like a dividend company. Um, And I would say in general with a my different investments like options, you know, dividend stocks, um, cryptocurrencies. It's just kind of at this point, they're maybe like little feelers feeling out different strategies and, you know, different ways to invest and um, getting a better feel for it, you know? So, yeah. um, And, and you find this stuff interesting too. That's, that's a huge help, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're making content on it. Uh, I think for the average, and again, I have to take off like my content creator hat, put on my financial coach hat, like for the average person who's got a whole bunch of crap going on in their life, they're like, I don't care about content. Just tell me what, you know, what's a good strategy for the long run that I could, you know, set up my retirement account that's index funds. But then there is this nuanced thing of like, um, if you fill out all these different types of strategies, you might actually land on something that's better. And I, I learned this myself. So I was in, um, believe it or not, I was in in growth, heavy growth, like uh, a large cap growth fund and a technology sector ETF in early 2020. And trying to validate, like, why did I pick this growth strategy? Uh, I actually found out about small cap value. So, like, there's always that next step where you can push it uh, and have these feeler things. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I actually found something here. Um, so I definitely get it. And I'm, I'm always the same. I'm always like uh, trying to make sure uh, uh, I understand a little bit of everything. Uh, I don't have to be a master at everything, but as long as I can understand that and say, hey, I can make, make an educated decision. Yes, this is for me or this is not for me. Uh, I, from that level of understanding, I think it's always a good thing. Now, uh, so you got these growth stocks, you got the dividend stocks, you got the you got the index funds. You mentioned the Roth IRA. What in the world is a twenty year old doing with a Roth IRA? Like, where did you get that idea? Because that is the most impressive thing about this entire conversation tonight is that you're twenty with a Roth IRA, and it seems like you're maxing it out. Or you mentioned that you know once you put it the money, you're maxing it out, right? So where yeah. where in the world did you get this idea? So I guess we have to go a little bit further back because I've actually technically speaking been investing since before I was 18. Um, I knew it had something to do uh, with your parents, right? Is it your parents? Yeah. And like a custodial custodial account. So um, basically I was um, kind of my mom. She would just like say every year, Hey, you made some money this year. You should put a certain amount in your investments or whatever. Probably since I was like, I don't know, maybe like, 15 or so. And so I would put some money in and 
Um, I think once I got like an actual job, um, then she started putting some of that into a Roth IRA. Um, and then pretty much since then, I've just been contributing it to it. Um, I think I, I'm pretty sure I maxed it last year and then I've maxed it this year as well. Um, so I'm in college right now, but because of how I'm in engineering uh, school, so we have kind of a strict co-op program. I wouldn't call it strict, but it's just like well-defined. So every other semester you're on co-op. So in like the spring semester, I was on co-op, you know, working full-time, um, like an internship type thing. Uh, so I had the money there to be able to max it out. And then over the summer, you know, I'm not really making any money, just going to school. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how that that's, works. That's so for I mean, dude, this puts a smile on my face because I have a little, I have a 10 month old son and uh, obviously in due time, I'm not going to push all this investing stuff on him too early, but I just think of, you know, I'm you know trying to get ideas of like, when's the appropriate time. It's so cool. Your mom did that. Um, that it seems like it piqued your interest. And then from there you actually went on and, or she opened up yeah. the custodial. And then now that you're 20, obviously you can, after 18, you can have your own and you've continued to, to max it. I, I think that in itself speaks volumes. Like, I don't care what you do. If you lose all your cryptos and all your growth stocks, like you've got that Roth IRA for, for five, six years, however long you've had it now, just chugging away. And obviously I'm sure once you get a job and, uh, you know, you, you can get more established income. You're going to have that 401k uh, and all uh, and all your other uh, tax advantage accounts set up. I think that right there is the secret sauce for you, Frank. And, and a lot of people, unfortunately, myself, either we never had that exposure. Like nobody ever told me when I was 15, get a Roth IRA or like, I didn't even know what a Roth IRA is. And like the stigma behind like stock market investing was like, yeah, you're going to lose all your money. So don't don't go in there. Uh, and, and honestly, I mean, I'm an immigrant. Right. I wasn't born here, so I, I didn't know any better. I was just like, well, I'm not going to go there. Uh, obviously, the lottery or the casino is way safer because I'm going to lose my money. and have fun. Uh, but nobody taught me that. And I think uh, part of the, the message that I try to preach uh, I, is when I reach a younger audience is like, man, you if you get this going early, uh, the, the trees are going to spread like you're the tree, but you're going to have so many branches. You're going to teach your kid, your future kids and nieces and nephews and like you're going to really spread this investing bug to other people. And that's how, you know, we start educating the masses, which is really my goal. So, so cool to hear that. Uh, and that your parents, I mean, I, I already knew your, your parents did a wonderful job raising you because there's not a 20 year old that I know in my life who is as uh, focused, as driven, as uh, accomplished as you are at such a young age and obviously a bright future ahead of you. If you don't mind, let's talk about a little bit of school. I'm curious because, um, I run into a lot of people with student loan debt. Um, so you're at a, at a state school, right? Uh, and yeah. did you, what's that situation like? Did you get a full ride? Uh, are you having to take out any student loans that how's that going for you? So uh, for that, I guess we have to go back even further. Um, I, 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 I already know where this, Oh my God. Go ahead. Go ahead. So my, my uh, grandparents are really, I guess you could say like the, um, kind of what started investing I, in my family, I guess. Um, uh, my grandfather also was an immigrant. And so um, I don't know, he just started investing. I, I don't really know how he got started, but um, they've been investing. And basically when I was born, they started like a 529 account. 
for me. And um, my parents have like definitely contributed to that as well over the years, but obviously it's grown a lot. Um, so that really is what's funding um, my college right now. And uh, I'm obviously incredibly grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it really gives me the opportunity to like not have to worry about that and be able to focus on other things, um, which I think is super powerful. I mean, it's beyond powerful. So I, I, I try to put myself cause I throughout, I was lucky enough. Uh, my parents helped pay for most of my schooling. I, I worked too. And I contributed, I mean, maybe 5% they did 95. Right. So they did the heavy lifting. Uh, but, but in my wife's case, they had a much bigger family and she had to take on a lot of student loan debt. I think when she graduated, she had almost 80,000. So I always try to get to people who are young and be like, Hey, uh, you can still go to college and do it either debt free or, if maybe you're uh, becoming a parent, you're going to have kids. If you just open up a 529 account for your kid now before they're born or while, you know, after they're born and you just make it part of your budget to put money away, you don't have to repeat this cycle of we have to take out student loan debt because student loans are out of control. 1.5, 1.6, trillion, I don't even know what it is anymore. And everybody says, well, I have to do it. Like I have to take out $200,000 to go to school. And it's like, why? Why do we have to do it? If, if, if we could do things like these and people would actually plan for it or maybe go to an appropriate school, like I'm not sure if you want to disclose or not, but like how many, uh, what the funds were into 529 and if the funds in that account had anything to do which school you selected, because I'm sure you had your choice of schools um, that you could go to, but you know, I'm sure your parents or you, uh, if your grandparents are still alive, somebody sat you down or like, hey, uh, you know, there is uh, a financial difference of getting an education here versus getting it here. And it might be more wiser for you to, you know, take these funds and, and apply it here. How did that process go? Did you guys have those conversations? Because these days, uh, I think kids get to run the show. They tell their parents, hey, I'm going to this school. Right. And then it's like, well, crap i i can't pay for it well get student loans right so how did that conversation go and how that thought process go as you were picking which school to go to yeah so i think um the funds were definitely not at the state that i could you know just go anywhere per se like um and at least without like scholarships or something like that you know um so there was a few schools that were um significantly more expensive. And I think I honestly don't really recall, but I think the conversation was like, um, you know, if you go to these schools, like, I think, I think it was kind of like, we'll worry about that if you make that decision. Um, and it's, it'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and my, my parents are generally in pretty good financial shape. So, um, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but uh, I was looking at Case Western in Cleveland, which is like, you know, $50,000 or something like that. And the funny thing is, right, is I got a $30,000 scholarship. It's like, well, hell yeah, I got a $30,000 scholarship. And then it's like, well, that's actually only like half, maybe less than half once you add on like room and board or whatever mm -hmm. for the first year. And yeah. so it's like, all right, well, so, yeah. And I was also looking at a school in Indiana, Rose Holman, uh, which is a really small engineering school. And these private schools or. Yeah. 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 Rose Holman is private. They're like really small. Um, but they yeah, I bet really there, it was probably the most expensive one, probably. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. It was around the same thing as Case. Oh, it was. So yeah, I, and I think you know, it's like I I don't know. Uh, someone I have I finished. I got a bachelor's degree in business, right? So I finished from a, a state school here in Chicago, University of Illinois, uh, at Chicago, mm-hmm. and um. I had the option to go to DePaul University, which is a private school. My wife went to a private school, Loyola. Um, and uh, UIC's tuition at the time was like 10000 a year. Um, I know it's crazy now probably because tu- you know, tuition's gone up, but this was 2008. And the private schools were more like 50000 a year, right? And I'm like, is really the quality of education that I'm getting at DePaul or Loyola uh, five times better than than UIC? Probably not. I'm sure it's better. I'm not uh, debating that for anybody who's looking at private schools. Uh, but you have to ask yourself, what's going to be the, the return on investment? Because at the end of the day, you should treat uh, education, uh, higher education as an investment because uh, somebody, let's say I'm 18, I can go to a trade school and be done in nine months, 16 months, 18 months, I can start working and you're still getting your degree, right? So I get that jump start, graduate with no debt. I'm in a trade. I'm making 60, 70 K. What's the RI on you? Who's going to be in school four or five years? Uh, You know, you're starting behind the eight ball, especially if if you have debt. So people, you should treat this like an investment, but so cool that uh, you've actually gone this route. You've actually uh, made these decisions yourself too. It seems like uh, to, to pick the schools and you pick the school that not only, uh, fits what you were looking for, but also fits in with, with your 529. Uh, do you mind sharing uh, what's the career path going to look like? Uh, you're a, uh, in summer, so you're a junior now? You're about to be a junior? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I guess you got two more two, two more years. What's your, uh, yeah, what's, uh, what are you looking at career-wise that you're thinking you're going to be doing once you graduate? So if I can go back just a little bit again, um, I want to emphasize what you said about the return on investment and like is that education really like five times as good and ultimately that's kind of what it came down to for me is like even if money was like not an option at all i don't think this education is worth that much money yeah so i don't see any point in patronizing that institution yeah because i i just do not think that education is yeah, why, why, why would you pay for the dean's golden toilet in his office right because it, there's no way they have the professors that are five times better you know what i mean it's not like uh harvard great professors versus a co- community college right it's not the gap is not that uh wide um so yeah that's that is you know uh, absolutely what it comes down to the return on investment and it's cool that you thought because me at 18 i thought about it but only because uh, I knew that it would be taxing on my parents, right? Because they they offered uh, or they said they were going to pay for my school. And I'm like, I don't want to, and because I knew, you know, as immigrants, they're well off financially. But man, they worked their ass off for 20 years, two jobs for 20 years, both my parents. And I was like, I don't want them to have to dish out 50k a year because I felt that, like, and now I feel that too when I'm not trying to take out debt. I'm like, do I want to dish out this much? So it is it is different having that mentality versus a lot of kids are like, well. I like the band or I like the sports team or I like how the trees look at the campus. So I'm going to go to this one, not really thinking that they're digging themselves into a, into a financial hole, but go ahead, keep going. I'm sorry on your uh, career trajectory and what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm studying computer engineering, which is kind of like, uh, I guess a hybrid, I would say between like electrical engineering and computer science. Um, And so there's, there's really nothing like uh 
specific I want to do at this point. Um, so what I like, I guess, about computer engineering is I feel like since it's kind of between those two disciplines, there's like a lot of options. You can, you can definitely go into like more electrical engineering type of work or somewhere in the middle or more computer science type of work. And I, um, that's something I like, I guess, is having those options. Um, but I'm definitely hoping to get a better idea of, you know, specifically what I want to do in the next year or two. So I've worked two co-ops at a company in Cincinnati and, um, that was, you know, more like software engineering type stuff, um, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. And, uh, I probably had a bit of experience with that beforehand. Um, and then, so I'm going to work this fall with a different company, um, which will be more like firmware type stuff, which is, um, just, I guess for lack of a better word, working more closely with the hardware. Um, and so it's kind of a different ball game to a certain extent. So, and I, I really don't have much experience at all with that. So I think could be an opportunity to say, this is something that's interesting to me, or, um, you know, this is something that's not as interesting to me, but it was a good experience nonetheless. So, uh, I think that's where I'm heading right now. No, nowhere in particular. I mean, I'll probably like end up in a, you know, traditional, you know, engineer salary type job, um, at least for the time being. Um, I definitely have some goals around that and when I would want work to be optional and what that looks like, but yeah. um, nothing really you, set in stone. Yeah, you get, That's still, you know, at least, you know, eight, 10 years away. Uh, but it's, you're 20, you got a long, long way to figure out. Um, me yeah. at 20, I didn't, even, I just went to business management and entrepreneurship because I couldn't pick an actual uh, field I wanted to study. I was like, well, out of school, I'll figure it out. And there's a lot of figuring out, right? Even after your first job, your second job, your third job, all that. But it's cool that you're, you're trying different things in college now um, where, you know, you have the opportunity to explore and you'll figure it out once you get into the workforce you start making money. Not that it's all money driven. Sometimes it's probably more important to focus on the work you actually like to do versus how much it's paying. But uh, I, th- I have no doubt you'll be able to figure it out. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, let me just turn to the comments here, see where you guys are uh, talking about. A uh, big uh, shout out first to uh, uh, Frank's channel here. Again, it should be pinned in the comments section. Uh, Malarsic, is that how you pronounce your last name? For yeah. Me? Yeah. So. Yeah. There's the link. Uh, you guys can click on that. Make sure you sub to him. Try to get him to a thousand Ks. Get him monetized so he's uh, making some money off these YouTube videos. Uh, we got also Ethos investing in the house. Uh, I don't know if you know Ethos or not, but cool guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, we got oh, we got Netcos in the house. Here's the here's a this guy uh, is who I want to be like. Do you know Netcos or no? Yeah, I saw him on one of your live streams yeah. at some point. This the hey, the net goes five. Cool. He's got his own strategy, but he's he's this dude's killing it, man. He's uh he's living his best life. Uh and I know he's all about index investing. And he actually he's got income funds and um we all can learn from that too. He's in the stage of his life where he's got these he's the one that I'm thinking of. I know I was talking to you about the dividend ETFs, but he's got SCHD and I forgot one other one that goes, but uh, now he's in retirement and these things are printing for him, uh, all this passive income that he can live off of, which is, which is pretty cool. And, um, sh- I'm sure that's somewhere you're trying to get with your dividend stocks as well. Uh, Michael Toma in the house says majority of the money is in VOO and about 10 to 15% individual stocks. It's kind of like your 
allocation there. Uh, why not do a little bit of learning about companies and invest in them? Otherwise, I like the boring VOSPY route. Yeah, Michael, and I think that's a good argument. Uh, Frank can probably talk more on that, why he's uh, you know digging into those companies. For me, um, and I've told Frank this before, he's 20 years old. Uh, he's got a lot of time on his, on his hands. I'm 33 uh, with a little 10-month-old toddler running around. Uh, or not, he's an infant, not yet a toddler. But uh, I can't, uh, I don't have that time, right? And there's a lot of other things I would rather be doing. So for me, it just comes down to give me the uh, simplest investment approach that's going to make me or it's going to give me the best odds over time to be successful. And let me just do that and forget about the rest. Uh, I don't know if you want to touch on, Frank, uh, kind of uh, your thought process with why the individual stocks. I know you enjoy them, but any other reasons why you do those? Yeah, I mean, basically what you said is like what whatever works for you or whatever you like. Um, and however you want to spend your time. So if you don't really want to, you know, be spending much time with your investments, then yeah, I think just going with index funds is a great approach. And, um, you know, like I said, that's kind of like a foundation of my portfolio as well. Um, but if you want to be more involved with it, if you want to, if it's something that's like really interesting to you, you want to spend time with, then I think, you know, learning more about the companies and investing in individual companies is a good strategy as well. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to say that one or the other is better. Uh, I'm just saying what's better for me. Right. So like Frank's, you yeah. know, Frank's got his approach. I got my approach. Um, in the end, it's hard to say who's better, but we don't know. Right. There's no one way to measure that. But uh, whatever's best for you is what we'll agree on is better. Uh, let's see. Lucky guy. If parents are investing intelligent, their kid greatly, their kids greatly benefit. Yeah. And this is the other thing, you know, I'm uh so happy that you know frank's mom pushed that and it looks like his his grandpa pushed it on 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 the mom so and it's kind of like that chain reaction where you got the initial tree and all these branches now and that's like building generational wealth and it starts with the one person uh i'm kind of like in your grandpa's shoes i'm the first one in my family that's really investing uh and i know it's not i'm not investing for myself as much as i'm investing for my kid and my kids' kids, right? My grandkids from that point. So it, it, I'm kind of having that same vision probably your grandpa had um, when he first started. And, and I got lucky. I think I I, I stumble upon from uh, on this topic from a coworker. Otherwise, I would have probably ne- I would have never ever in a million years gone into investing. I would have always kept my money in, in a savings account and earned my 0.01 percent and been happy with it. So yeah, definitely lucky. But also, I think. Um, uh, Michael, we got to give Frank a lot of credit. Frank is not the average 20-year-old. I've spoken to a lot of, I've actually mentored a lot of kids here in the south side of Chicago who um, do not have their life put together like Frank does. Now, there's all kinds of circumstances for that. I'm not here to say that. But uh, most 20-year-olds, when I was 20, I'll, let's talk about that, I was thinking about booze and girls. I did not care about my Roth IRA, nor did I know about a Roth IRA, right? So Frank is ahead of the curve here. Uh, when it comes to uh, investing. And yeah, he's benefited from his family uh, kind of pushing that on him. But I think even if that wasn't the case, Frank's uh, pretty smart that he would have came along to to that. Uh, private member, we got Carver Nurse. What's going on? Big shout out to you. Uh, if only we were all this smart grown up. Good job, Frank. I hope many youngsters find inspiration in this interview. Strong work. This is the reason I wanted to bring him on. And I've, I know, Frank, you're probably thinking, you're like, man, why why me? Dude, you're, you're, you're a stud for your age. And anybody that's watching this, 
I hope uh, you're going to inspire them. They're going to come to your channel, see your journey. Now, on your channel, I'm going to give you some more time here. What we got? We got eight minutes. Talk a little more about your channel and what they're going to find on there. Um, uh, do you? I know you do the interviews. That's how I kind of came on there. What else do you do on on the YouTube channel that that could benefit uh, maybe the younger audience? Yeah. So um, mainly, I I'll, I would say I guess a large portion of the channel or of the videos, I guess, are just like stock analysis or like just going through companies and kind of my thoughts um, and like things I'm looking or, you know, different things about the companies I will look at and evaluate certain ways, I guess. Um, Right now I'm doing like a Dow series, I guess. So looking at every single company in the Dow. So I'm about like halfway through that. That's been pretty fun so far. Um, Looking at lots of different types of companies. Um, And I also, you know, talk about my, portfolio some just mainly the dividend portfolio and um make some other like videos as well um it's kind of at this point a bit of a conundrum for me because i have some you know i have a bunch of like spreadsheets and stuff that i use to track a lot of this and i've put a lot of effort into those and i kind of make some videos about you know how i've made those spreadsheets and there's like a surprising amount of demand for that. And so Mm -hmm. some of those videos have done really well and it almost um, makes me want to like make more of those, but that's just not what's quite as interesting for me at this point. So I don't know. Well, follow. I I think the fun thing about YouTube for a lot of us, they're not big content creators is we're doing it as like a passion project, a side project. Yeah. Just follow where your heart goes. I kind of went, I figured out with my channel too, when I do like the top five index funds, People freak out and I get, I think, some of my most like 80, 90,000 views on a top five index fund video. People love that stuff, but it's literally me going, sorting the top five best performing funds month over month and reporting it. And it's just so boring to me. And I'm like, there's no value here. And when I do a video I really like that I think brings a lot of value, nobody watches it, right? Like YouTube doesn't yeah, plug in all that. Goes. And it's it's always like, well, do I want to follow the money or do I want to follow what I like? And it's like, well, I'm doing this not for the money. I'm doing this because I like it. If I get paid along the way and I can buy, you know, some of these, cool. But I'm not here to to make, you know, millions and millions of dollars off YouTube. I'm here to kind of educate the masses and show them a way that I've, you know, you know, as an average Joe build wealth. So uh, my advice is always going to be fo- follow your passion, even though uh, you'll you'll have plenty of time in your life to make money as as a smart dude. So uh, you know you're not uh, you're not really gonna I, even though this YouTube income in college might seem fun, it's it's going to be so minuscule compared to your actual physical income that you're going to be earning. It's uh, it's much more fun when you just do stuff you like. Um, we got a conscious in the house here says uh what's the question uh, or it's not a question get on the itot train and chill frank is what he's telling you um you know, are you familiar with itot or no um i've heard of it i think it was like it's a some total tech. it's a total oh, okay. stock market a total. uh etf okay. from conscious that iShares. i think he loves itot yeah. just we always he, i think he likes how it sounds when i say it he, he freaking loves that fund uh but yeah that's uh, conscious solid advice uh and I think Frank's uh, 50, 75% VTI, VTS, AX, uh, VO, some kind of combo of that uh, for, for his age. I think that's very, very impressive. Again, these are the types of investments that are boring that we uh, and I struggle to make content on them all the time because there's not, you know, there's not a lot of stuff to talk about it. Uh, like Conscious here said, get on the train and chill. That's it. You just relax. Uh, but I think they're important that 
younger investors understand uh, they might be boring, but they're actually really powerful over the long run, right? A lot of the stuff they might be invested in is not going to be around for the long run, uh, but these kinds of uh, investments will. So that's always uh, that's always important uh, uh, to, to to consider whenever we're picking investments. Obviously, we can have fun play accounts and all that, but I'm talking about serious investing, like you know your Roth IRA, for example, which is probably going to be next to your 401k, your two biggest accounts, and those are the ones you want to be locked down in, in being in these uh, really you know uh, sound investments. Uh, last five minutes, Frank, your time. You got any other stuff you want to plug? Um, I know, uh, uh, you got the YouTube channel, any other things you work on, uh, that you want people where they can find you anywhere else? Um, not really, I guess. Um, I'll say something about the Roth IRA is that, yeah. um, right now it is definitely, um, my larger accounts. Um, but I think that's just cause I'm taking advantage of the 6,000 and that's like, um, I realized that in, in like a few years, like 6,000 a year to invest, isn't really going to be that much to me. Um, but I really hope that those accounts are not the vast majority of my investments because, um, I definitely don't want to have to, you know, wait that much till I'm like 60 to use that money, you know? So I want to have some other accounts there. You you did mention earlier, so you're thinking already. You got the 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 wheels rolling. You're trying to re- retire early. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. yeah. What's your uh, and I know you're not in the workforce yet, but what's your estimated time frame of when you think you can retire? Because I mean you you've got obviously the Roth. You're not going to be able to touch in retirement. It's going to take a lot of savings and a lot of taxable uh, investments. What's your best guess? My guess was was 35. Uh, what was your What's your best guess? What was what was that guess for for you? Oh, for me, yeah, it was thirty five. Okay, yeah. So I don't know what my best guess is. I can tell you that my goal is thirty five. Okay, but and that is very aggressive. Um, but you know, at this point, it's I've I've gone over this in my head a few times, and it's really hard for me to um, I guess come up with like a defined plan at this point because there's there's so many unknowns like a lot of variables really don't know like what kind of like consistent income i'm going to be able to make and what kind you know where i might be living like i don't know i don't really have any plans to go live somewhere else but i don't know what's going to happen you know and that can affect your expenses and all that kind of stuff so yeah another variable that's kind of where i'm just i have this thought and this goal in my mind but it's hard to kind of make a plan. So I'm just trying to build wealth right now, I guess, and hope that helps. No, that's fair. And and I think another thing you got to consider is uh, who you're going to marry. And once you get married, right. A lot of the reason that I've been able to, I don't want to say retire, but yeah, I put my full-time job. I haven't worked full-time for over a year and a half is because of my wife. Right. And because we, uh, throughout our, we've been married for, going on nine years now but yeah it's a long time but throughout our uh, nine-year marriage uh it's been like you know the first half she was in college and i was working making the money and then i progressed in my career and i made a lot of money and then i was like well i'm gonna take my foot well i I guess it wasn't voluntary i got laid off but then i took my foot off the pedal and then she stepped up and she made a lot of money and we're now at the stage where it's like we can trade off so like i can try early retirement and maybe some side hustles because she makes really good money. 
And if something happens to her job, then I'll go back and make really good money and she could take time off. So uh, that's probably the biggest variable that's going to allow you to either be able to, and depending on the person you married, do they have a lot of debt or not, right? Like we, when I married my wife, uh, we had a lot of debt that we combined and that really put us beyond the eight ball. Luckily we knocked all that out and kind of got ahead of it. But yeah, there's a lot of variables. 35, I think is, is a sweet age to retire or aim to retire. Just remember, and I'll probably still be talking to you. Do not uh, aim to retire and not do anything, right? Because you're still a young dude. There's so much stuff you can do in the world uh, and have an impact that doesn't include money. Uh, what I've noticed is when I quit my job, I've had a lot of more free time. And sometimes I find myself uh, lounging around when I could be more productive, right? And I think that's not good for the soul. We should always aim to be producing and doing stuff, uh, whether we're making money or not. So early retirement's fun. It's been fun. Um, obviously I get a, a kid now, so that makes it more entertaining. Uh, but, uh, I'm always open to the idea of going back, right? If I get bored enough, I think I'll go back or if I get strapped for cash, cause I'm like you, I have, oh, or I started the Roth IRA first in 2018. And now I've, you know, the 401k and all that, but the majority of my assets are in retirement accounts. I, I have, maybe 65, 70,000 in a taxable that I can draw on. So it's like, if, if something happens to my wife's income, I'll deplete that account really, really quickly. And one of us is going to have to go back to work right away. So a lot of stuff to consider. Last question here before I let you go. I know we're running over time, but last question here from Michael Frank. What is your take on REITs? I wouldn't, I don't think we talked about a real estate investment trust, but as a dividend growth investor, what do you, uh, what is your take on REITs? Do you own any? And, and, where do you think is, is best to own them? So, yeah, I think um, REITs um, for me, give me some exposure to real estate. And I like that. Um, we didn't talk about real estate at all. That's fine. But um, it's something I'm not sure about. And, you know, one potential option to get exposure to that is just to invest in these companies, um, these real estate investment trusts. Um, so for me, I do own some REITs and those are all in my Roth IRA. So they're protected from the taxes um, because there is a uh, more, more tax on the dividends than the, the ordinary yeah. dividends. Um, so there's more taxes there. Um, right now I just only own two. I own realty income and store capital. Um, so yeah, I really, I, I guess I like both of those companies and um, generally they have a little bit, higher yields, which at this point I'm not the biggest fan of because I don't really need that right now. I'd rather have them have like a lower starting yield, grow their business a little bit more and grow the dividend as well. Um, but they are, I think, good. Generally, those companies I like a lot. So that's why I invest in them. Cool, cool. Actually, I have a question for you before we end the stream. Have you considered a REIT uh, ETF or like a REIT index on like uh, VNQ or FRL? Uh, that owns a basket of 200, 150 uh, uh, of these individual REITs. I know the yield is probably not uh, as good as, as as maybe the individual ones, but have you considered that? And if you have, why not that route? So I'm not sure what the yield would be, but I would think it would be pretty good because REITs are like required to pay dividends. So um, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really considered it that much. Um, I guess it's something that I could consider, but... I would definitely want to look at it pretty closely because there's definitely a lot of like, I, I wouldn't use the, 
how do I want to describe it? There's a lot of REITs that I would not want to invest in, I guess. Um, and I think that that could possibly hurt the performance of that fund, but I, I don't know. It, it depends like how, um, the fund is structured. Cause there's, um, there's like different types of REITs. Um, so I don't know, I would have to look into it. I think it's definitely something to consider, I guess, but, um, my, my first thought is I'm not so sure about it, but it could be an option. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, man. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming on uh, to the stream. It was a pleasure having you. I'm so excited. Uh, it's like, I, I rarely get to meet people like you. So anytime I do, I get really excited and uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep in contact and you're always welcome to, to jump on. I'm going to turn this into a podcast too, but you're always welcome to jump on and uh, we can always chit chat and, uh, um, catch up and things like that. Uh, thank you to all the followers that were uh, in the chat tonight. Uh, thank you to all the private members uh, for supporting me in the channel. Uh, we got to go Cubs go. Uh, sadly, Cubs are not doing anything, Michael. I'm sorry. Looks like it's going to be the Brewers who are going to take the central, buddy. Uh, but yeah, thank you to everybody. You guys have a good night. And as always, remember, move obstacles, keep investing. <laughs>